Welcome to episode 5 of Make Me Watch It, the podcast where you tell me which of the unwatched movies in my collection I should be watching next. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler, and the podcast is released through Bureau42.com. This month we're looking at Flash Gordon, the 1980 film. Specifically, it was released on December 5th, 1980, directed by Mike Hodges, who had previously had his feature film debut with the original Get Carter, and has also directed The Terminal Man, Omen 2, and I'll Sleep When I'm Dead. The credited writers include Michael Allen, who just gets credit for the adaptation. He also wrote Bruce Lee's Into the Dragon, I'll Be Home for Christmas, and some other less notable works. The better-known name on the writing credit list is Lorenzo Semple Jr., who also wrote Papillon, Never Say Never Again, Three Days of the Condor, and the 1976 King Kong, as well as the first four episodes of the Bill Dozier, Adam West, Burt Ward Batman series from 1966, and the series Bible that later writers had to follow. So he is the guy who came up with having the sound effects show up on screen and a number of other things that are very closely associated with that Batman series. In terms of the production crew, the most notable entity is probably Queen, the rock group who was hired to do the soundtrack, which is frankly probably the best part of the movie. Now, it's got a great cast, at least in terms of the supporting cast. The lead is Sam J. Jones as Flash Gordon. He's best known for this, Ten, My Chauffeur, and Ted. We get Melody Anderson as Dale Arden. She was born in my hometown of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. She's best known for this, as well as Dead and Buried, Firewalker, Elvis, All My Children, Jake and the Fat Man, Manimal, and St. Elsewhere. We get Max von Sydow as Mongo. Now, the IMDb lists Minority Report, Shutter Island, The Exorcist, and Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens as his most popular projects. I will always associate him with The Seventh Seal, which is an absolute masterpiece directed by Ingmar Bergman and their first collaboration. They also went on to collaborate on Wild Strawberries and The Virgin Spring. All three of those are available through the Criterion Collection and are well worth checking out. He also played Jesus in The Greatest Story Ever Told, as well as roles in Three Days of the Condor, The Exorcist 2, Strange Brew, Never Say Never Again, Dune, the uncredited voice of Vigo the Carpathian in Ghostbusters 2, and a lot more. Topol plays Dr. Zarkov. He's best known for this, Fiddler on the Roof and For Your Eyes Only. Ornella Muti plays Princess Aura. She's got a very lengthy resume, but they're almost entirely Italian works that I don't recognize, so I'm not sure what to single out. Timothy Dalton plays Prince Baron. So he was James Bond in The Living Daylights and License to Kill. He was a villain in The Rocketeer. Mr. Pricklepants from Toy Story 3. Alexei Volkov from Chuck. Lord President from Doctor Who The End of Time and a lot more. Brian Blessed is Prince Voltan, who's also known for playing King Urkanos from The Trial of the Time Lord serial in Doctor Who. He was in Disney's Tarzan. He was in Star Wars Phantom Menace as Boss Nass. And Robin Hood Prince of Thieves as Lord Loxley. Peter Wingard as Clytus, who's also known for The Innocence Department S and Burn Witch Burn. Mariangela Malato plays Kala, who's also known for Swept Away, Lulu the Tool, and Love and Anarchy. And we do have three other notables who are practically in cameo roles. Robbie Coltrane wasn't really a cameo as Man at Airfield. He was just early enough in his career that it feels like that now. He's probably best known for playing Hagrid in the Harry Potter films. But he's also played Valentin Dmitrievich Zukovsky from the Brosden Bond movies and the title character in Cracker. Kenny Baker is credited as Dwarf, who's a prisoner with no lines that I can recall. He's best known as R2-D2, but also has roles in Willow, Amadeus, and more. 
And Deep Roy is here as Allura's pet, who's probably best known these days for playing Keenser in the Kelvin vs. Trek movies. But he was also Teeny Weenie in The NeverEnding Story, and Oompa Loompa from Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Mr. Soggy Bottom in Big Fish, Mr. Sin in Doctor Who, and The Tin Man in Return to Oz. So why do I own this but haven't watched it? It made the greatest science fiction film tournament list to go through in that series of podcasts. We never got around to recording that episode, but it did make the list, so I picked it up when I found the Blu-ray in one of the Walmart bins for 8 bucks. The plot is loosely adapted from the comic strips, in which a polo player is called upon to save the world as a science fiction hero. The movie changes to football and makes a few other adjustments, including a gender swap on the character of Kala, and one of the first examples of that, changing some characters from one alien race to others that were easier for makeup, and so forth. The essential plot is that the evil Emperor Mongo the Merciless starts attacking the Earth for fun and setting the moon out of orbit to crash into the Earth. Got about two weeks to save the planet, but Dr. Zarkov, who's been written off as irrational, is the only scientist who's seen this coming and has been preparing for this day. So when Flash Gordon, the football star, and Dale Anderson, a travel agent, crash an airplane into Zarkov's greenhouse, he tricks them into his rocket by saying there's a phone in there, tries to only kidnap Dale, ends up with both of them, and then takes off in that rocket to protect the Earth from the alien attackers. Flash fights off some of Mongo's soldiers by applying his football skills, is knocked out by Zarkov by accident, is sentenced to death, and then is brought back to life by Mongo's daughter because she thinks he's hot and wants to use him. This does give Flash the opportunity to rally the various princes and the various planets with teamwork to stand up and fight against Mongo. This teamwork is a concept that was previously unknown to these guys. Now, there are some really nice touches here. We see a couple of aliens stabbed to death, neither of which bleed red. One bleeds blue, another bleeds green. So it's nice that, yeah, even though they're largely humanoid, they do show that, yes, they are alien and there are some fundamental differences. Doing the gender swap to have a second female villain in addition to Princess Orta is also a nice touch. I also like the fact that we establish that Flash is a hero with a piloting background before he even leaves Earth. You know, he talks about how he's just starting to take pilot lessons. He's out there trying to save Dale when Dr. Zarkov tries to kidnap her, which is why he's coming along at all. So there's some ingredients here that are right for a really great movie. And if I'd first seen it as a very young child, I'd probably enjoy it a lot more. But seeing it for the first time in my late 30s, it just doesn't engage me. There's some deliberate, over-the-top camp here. And there's slow pacing, which works really well with cerebral sci-fi like 2001, which I absolutely love, but which doesn't really work when you're not looking to really produce mental challenges and you just want to have a fun action romp. Now, some of that is because the standards of editing in action films have changed since this was made. It wouldn't have felt that slow if you were seeing it for the first time in 1980. But unfortunately, I can't really remove that part now that I'm seeing it for the first time in 2017. So had I seen it younger, even back then, I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more even rewatching it today. It was singled out. It was nominated for BAFTA Awards for the Music, Costumes, and Production Designs. He was nominated for Saturn Awards for Max von Sydow's acting for the Best Sci-Fi Film and for Best Costumes. He was nominated by the British Society of Cinematographers. Nominated for the Hugo for Best Dramatic Presentation. It won the Naperville Cinema Film Festival Best Actor Award for Max von Sydow. 
but it was also nominated for some less prestigious awards, namely the Worst Actor Razzie for Sam J. Jones, which I think is a fair nomination, as well as the nomination for Worst Remake at the Stinker's Bad Movie Awards, and it won the Stinker's Bad Movie Award for the Worst On-Screen Couple for Jones and Anderson. Now, I'm not saying that Sam J. Jones and Melody Anderson are not capable of acting well and pulling this off, but when you're going for deliberate over-the-top camp, you need some really great and very experienced actors and some very careful direction to make it work and not just feel cheesy. So Max von Sydow pulled that off. He's got the acting chops to do the camp, but do it in a fun way. Jones and Anderson, at least at this point in their careers, didn't have the experience and direction necessary to do that camp and still pull it off. Now, in terms of the box office and business, director Mike Hodges called it the only improvised $27 million movie ever, at least at the time. The only other budget numbers I could find were around the $20 million mark. But if he's saying $27 million and they know there were cost overruns and rewrites, it could just be that $20 million was the initial figure and it ended up costing a lot more. Box Office Mojo lists the total gross as $27,107,960, which is about a one-to-one ratio between budget and box office, and not the two or three-to-one that we need for this to finally be a profit. That's probably why they never exercised the options that they had in the contracts to pick up the cast for sequels. So ultimately, Flash Gordon was probably decent in its day. It hasn't aged well, and seeing it for the first time now, it just doesn't engage me. But I trust that those who saw it as children in 1980, as the intended audience, probably enjoy it a lot more even to this day. Anyway, that's all I have to say about Flash Gordon. Please remember to go to Bureau42.com and scroll down on the right-hand side to look for the Make Me Watch It voting list and register your votes. You do have to log in with a free Google account, but I did that so that you can track your past votes so you can go back and change them and readjust them and that you don't have to worry about whether or not you voted on one particular vote list or not, because it will have been updated. And we did update that voting list just before last month's episode. So if you haven't voted in the last month, there are new titles to pick from. Please remember to rate this and any other shows you listen to on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever podcatcher you use. It really does help the shows get noticed. And finally, thank you for listening.